Welcome to Family Life Today, brought to you with the compliments of this station and power to change. We're always encouraged to receive your feedback and comments on the program, but I'll tell you how you can do that at the conclusion. But now, here are your Family Life Today presenters, Dave and Ann Wilson. All right, I'm going to tell you, just fasten your seatbelts. You're in for a ride today. It's going to be fun. We've got Carl Clausen back in the studio, yes. our good friend from Chicago. Used to be a Family Life Weekend to remember, speaker, yes. pastor, radio disc jockey, and a good friend, more than anything. Mm. Welcome to Family Life Today, Carl. It is a thrill to be here, and <laughs> that's not overstating it. It is a thrill to be here. It's you know fun what? that you brought I'm gonna, here I'm going to brag on you guys a second. Too bad. Oh, no. I'm, You're not I'm, allowed to do I'm this. I'm ripping this off right now. I'm, I'm Shut down their mics in the studio in there. All right, so here's the deal. You've listened to the show. I want you to know something about Dave and Ann. I want you to know that they live with they. What they preach, what they champion, what they cheer for, they live it. And they're authentic, and they're courageous, and they're passionate for Jesus. And sometimes it's important for folks to know they're listening to the real deal in a world of make-believe, baby. So, Are you going to give the show back to us now? No. Okay, go ahead. I just had to do that. I'm sorry. Well, uh, we appreciate that. Carl. You guys are some of our favorites, and that's what we said to you the last time. Like, wow, you're still burning for yeah. Jesus. Yeah. And you got June Ann in the studio Yay. with you. She's sitting over there on the I couch. I know. She's over there waving at me. I can't see her, Blowing so I'm guessing kisses. she's making little She's doing gestures. good. She's grinning ear, from ear, ear to ear right now. So How many years good. have you been married? 35 years. Yes. And I still call her my bride. And two kids. Two kids, two adult kids. Yep, they're going to be 32, 34. They are that. Yeah, so here we are. Yeah, and you know, uh, I got sort of inspired last night after we had dinner, and I went home, and you know, I feel like God gave me a, a song for Carl Clausen. Oh no! That I thought I might sing. Oh no! Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, we're gonna we're gonna rehearse this. Did a ride, ride, ride. I did a ride. I did a ride. Carl's the coolest guy that you gotta meet. He's got a really great wife and his kids are neat. He used to live in the cold, in the Alaskan snow. He did, I did a ride once, and he wants everyone to know I did a ride, ride, ride. I almost died, but God got me home. I want to make him know. I did a ride. You guys are outstanding. <laughs> and the crowd goes crazy. We're going to have to redo that again. We'll redo it. And, you know, that was great. It, it, it worked great at home. <laughs> it just didn't seem to go the same way. <laughs> that was great. Uh, it was being recorded. But, I mean, honestly, last time you are here, yeah. you talked about your book, The Seven Resolutions. And all throughout the book are... Stories of you, the only, the first ever 18-year-old to do well, the Iditarod? Well, I've run it at the youngest stage possible. There's been younger since me run that race. Really? But, oh, yeah. I mean, we get months, but up until the year I ran, no 18-year-olds had completed it. So I was able to run it, compete it at the youngest stage possible, that of 18. And it was a journey, 1,100 miles across Alaska. Wow. Well, talk about the seven resolutions. Yeah, why this book, Carl? Yeah. There's a lot of Christian in name only running around out there, and they don't want to be. They want to be the real deal. Mm. 
I think there's a lot of people that wonder, what's the gap between where I'm living today and the promises of God? Why is that gap there? And there's so many reasons for it. I was reading the context of Jeremiah 2 yesterday. And in Jeremiah 2, boy, Jeremiah's laying it down. He says, you know, God has two things that he wants to say to you guys. He says, you've forsaken living water and you've carved out cisterns that can't hold water. Broken cisterns. Broken cisterns. And the way I interpret that for today is that we've cut off the supply and the flow of the Holy Spirit, those rivers of living water, and we've carved out a life for ourselves that can't hold water. Mm. And oftentimes it's due to the Christian world that we live in. I, I'm pretty convinced of this. I've thought a lot about this. Our brothers and sisters in Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan, China, because of the intense persecution and pressure on them, they're forced to streams of living water mm. and carving out real deals out of the rocks every day. But we've got this incredible blessing of this American dream. And the very blessing from God sometimes can be our very downfall. Mm. It's so interesting, Carl. I heard a woman from Iraq came to the United States with her husband. And they were persecuted believers for their faith over there. So they couldn't wait to get to America. And she said in the interview, I've been here a while. And what I've realized is the church has fallen asleep here. And I'm starting to fall asleep, and I feel like I need to go back. Yeah. How tragic is that? Yeah. Yeah, that's my heart. Uh, I want to close the gap between where we're living today and the promises that God has for us. And I just feel prompted by the Spirit to say this. This has to be the move of the Holy Spirit. You know, I was raised in a very solid biblical tradition. And then when I was radically saved by Jesus in 1984, I went off to a great Bible college, really taught us good stuff. But for some reason, we neglected to talk about the power of the Holy Spirit. We really did. We neglected it. And I have been on this incredible quest for the last decade, rediscovering the fact that he is here (laughs) and he wants to fill us up. And the Apostle Paul since we're in the swift water here, let's go for it. I love what he says. This is this could be written today, and this was written to the Church of Galatia, which is encouraging. So you realize the problem that we have oftentimes in our own spiritual life here, especially stateside in America. Right. They had 2,000 years ago, because this is what he said. Oh, foolish Galatians. Boy, that'd be hard-hitting stuff to get in a letter, wouldn't it? <laughs> uh, who has bewitched you? It gets deeper, right? <laughs> what demon got a hold of you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit, Holy Spirit, by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the power of the Holy Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? And that's us. (laughs) We're pasting fake fruit on ourselves rather than abiding in the vine. And producing that lasting fruit. And so, utter humility, bowing low before the Lord, tapping into the power of the Holy Spirit. Come on, man. That is the life that God's called us to. I mean, Paul wrote in Colossians, the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead lives in me. Boom. I mean, what does that mean? And your subtitle is where self-help ends and God's power begins. Yeah. 
So that's what you're tapping into, right? Yeah, we hope to be. It's really wild, but we've neglected in some ways the power of the Holy Spirit. And then you got to ask why when Jesus himself said, as he was leaving, Gospel of John, it's to your advantage that I go. Yeah, right. don't you read that and think, wait, no, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> like, I need you here beside <laughs> yeah, me. Yeah, right. And we would think that. But it, it's to your advantage that I go because I will send you the, a helper, the Holy Spirit, and he will guide you into all truth. And so, really... Everything that I've written about and all that I live for, um, whether it's preaching or radio, whatever, is to help people connect with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in a way that ignites their faith again, because it doesn't need to grow cold. Mm -hmm. So you write seven resolutions. We've talked about, I don't know, three of them already. Yeah. And I want to walk through them, and you're going to have to review the three we already hit yeah. in some brief way. We did join God, kill sin, and take risks. Yeah. Let's start at the top. Join God's critical. If we don't join God, everything else is nothing. Joining God is all about positioning ourselves in a place of his grace and power. Mm-hmm. What do we find in Titus 2, 10 and 11? This grace, Paul says, it is the grace that saved you and the grace that is going to train you. Mm-hmm. We've trusted God's grace, his power to do in us for salvation, but we often leave it on a back burner for sanctification, which is a big fancy word for growing up in Jesus. But the same posture that we come to Jesus is the same posture that we grow in our relationship with Jesus. I did this at a men's camp in Williams, Arizona one time. I was on my knees preaching, and I'd stayed there for about 10 minutes. And I said, guys, I need you to hear me. This is where real men are born, right here. This is where we're born. But the fatal flaw we make is we think now, after we're born again, I got to get up in my strength and make this thing happen. Mm. Nothing could be further from the truth. I was knocked over at that same men's event that I was at in, in Williams. I pulled a couple of guys up on stage to illustrate John 15, which is another key, key principle of joining God. Abiding. Abiding. We got to abide and and I pulled a guy, a big old boy, up on stage, and I said, all right, bro, you're going to be Jesus for a second. And he's like, oh, no. I said, I'll get you out of this role here really quick. <laughs> but you're a vine. You're a big, naughty, gnarly vine. And I pull up another brother. I say, okay, now you're going to be a branch. That's your job. You be a branch. Now, what's a branch doing? He puts his arm out on that vine. And then I began to, from John 15, just give these guys a vision for where to focus their life. See, we can focus either on abiding in Christ or producing fruit, but we can't do both. Mm. It's sad to say, but many of us have a life that has lost the zeal and the joy of our salvation, and now we find ourselves living by oughts and shoulds, like I ought to be doing this, I should be bearing fruit. And here's the crazy maker. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, you will bear fruit fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And it's to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. So I asked this guy, I said, put your hand on him right there. Okay, he's got his hand on him. I said, now here's the choice. We can focus on the abiding relationship with Christ or focus on producing fruit, but we can't do both. And every time we focus on, oh, I need to be loving, I need to be joyful, I need to have self-control, we inadvertently lose connection with our Savior. Because we're living a man-centered gospel. Mm. And so that's my heart, Mm. is to 
help people understand the way you got saved is the way we grow. Mm. I mean, my son said it in a sermon once. We easily focus on the fruit rather than the root. Totally. I've never forgotten it. He probably got the rhyme thing from his dad. But here's the thing. <laughs> it's the way to go. Uh, you know this, Carl, like I know it. In ministry, it's easy to focus on numbers. Big fruit. Time. How many people are coming? How much money is being given? How many salvations? How many baptisms? Those are all good things. They're fruit. And I'm telling you, I did it. I hate to admit this, but after so many years, I realized my heart's sort of drying up, hmm. even though numbers are increasing. It's almost like I learned how to do sermons and ministry and do a weekend service in such a powerful way without even the root, the vine. It's, you can do it. And it's horrible because it's not real fruit. It's we have to have our eyes on the root. We have to be on the vine, abiding in the root, join God, whatever way you want to say it. That is it. I love your on your knees analogy. Me I mean, that's the visual we have to have in our head at all times. Yeah, the thing I didn't complete with that thought is I said, guys, here's the thing. We come to Jesus here, but this is how we have to follow Jesus. I said, it's more than a metaphor. And I started to walk on my knees across the stage. Mm-hmm. And I said, this is this is the way we grow. Well, we also talked about kill sin. Yeah. Killing sin is a big boy. You know, a couple of guys that reviewed the book that I really respect. Robert Lewis is one. Dave Wilson is another. Oh, he's here. Erwin <laughs> um, Lutzer, pastor, former pastor of Moody Church. Uh, most of these guys said this chapter, Killing Sin, is maybe the most important for today. Because oftentimes what we do with our sin is it goes into the shadows and it just kind of sits there. And we rationalize it or explain it or minimize it or blame it. But God challenges us, bring it into the light, expose it, and then attack it. A lot of people, we don't know how to get serious with sin. But Jesus said, if your eye caused you to sin, Hmm. gouge it out. If your arm caused you to sin, cut it off. Sounds kind of serious. No, it's serious. And thankfully, he's using hyperbole or else we'd all be in trouble. (laughs) But he gave us a vision for killing the things that are killing us. And that's what we've got to do. I think the most important aspect of killing sin for me is how you sustain it. And the promise out of Galatians 5.16, walk in the spirit, Paul said, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Whew, that's a mm. promise. Mm. So irrigating your soul with the power of the spirit after you've cut these things out, it's a way to live. And, and frankly, I've journeyed there. Mm. And it's awesome. Yeah, and I think a lot of times we don't want to kill sin. We just sort of want to we play with maim it. it a little bit, but we don't want it to go completely away. It's yeah. like we're just gonna we're gonna die. We're yeah. gonna you play with temptation, it leads to devastation. You can't play with it. You got to kill it. And by the way, you know this on you version on your Bible app, yeah. you can uh, do a devo about kill sin, right? You can. Yes. It's- so go to it's, UVersion and do it. Yeah, UVersion, you can what get it. What would they look up, Carl? Well, all you got to do is I did punch. it. It's under Bible plans. Bible plans. Okay. And kill sin at, comes up. Punch in killing sin or kill sin, and it'll jump right up there. All right, real quick. Take yeah. risks. That's another resolution. You know, risk-taking is an interesting thing. It's essential. Let me take you on to the Iditarod. Could I tell you a story from the Iditarod oh, trail race? love to. Just sang a song about it here. Yeah. <laughs> um, you want to tell everybody, so let's go. I love this. This one is maybe one of the most important stories from the Iditarod Trail Race for me. God had me run this race. It took me 21 days, 8 hours, 12 minutes, and 32 seconds. And he gave me a metaphor around every corner, every bend of the trail. 
I mean, it was just one adventure after another. But I got out onto the sea ice, onto the Norton Sound, and I went out onto the Norton Sound against the counsel of a village elder in Koyak. I was heading from Shaktulik to Koyak, excuse me. So he's in Shaktulik, and he tells me, he says, Carl, don't go. The wind's going to blow tonight. It's going to be bad. Well, I'm 18 years old. I wanted to catch up to the teams in front of me. I didn't listen to the wise counsel, and I headed out. So I headed straight out onto the ocean. I've got 45, 50 miles to get across the Norton Sound, and the wind begins to pick up to the point where it is howling. Mm. And now I've got a whiteout condition. I cannot see. If I extend my hand, I cannot see the tip of my mitten. It's that obscured. Mm. And at one point, I put my foot down between my sled runners to see how fast am I going? What kind of headway am I making? And the sled was stopped. So I get down on my hands and knees and I crawl holding on to the sled and then holding on to the lines because if you crawl in a whiteout and you let go of a sled, mm. you'll you'll crawl to your death because unless you happen to find your way back to that sled, which is about nil, you'll crawl to your death. So I'm holding on to the sled and I'm holding on to the dog lines and I'm getting up to my team and sure enough, they're all hunkered down because they can't move. I later found out we had gusts on the ice to 92 miles an hour. Wow. They had sent out two snow machines after me. It had ripped the cowling off of one of them, so they sent it back and said, he's on his own, hope he makes it. So I've got my dogs all strung out on, in a straight line. I've got about eight dogs left in my dog team. None of the dogs had died. You just drop them because they get lacerated pads or injured in some way. But I have eight dogs left in my team. And I piled them all up in a big old dog pile, keep them all warm together. I crawled back to the sled. I got into two sleeping bags with all my gear on. When you're in that kind of chill factory, you, you stay in your gear. So I slid into my two sleeping bags. I've got on fox mittens, beaver hat, all my Arctic gear, wolf rough. And I feel the wind cutting through. And I've got all the gear that I have with me on. Hmm. And I'm scared. I put up a windbreak. I put a snowshoe in the ice. And I put up some Gore-Tex plastic windbreak. And I huddled down behind that thing. And I began to pray. And I said, God, please get me out of this thing. You know, I was running so hard away from God. And here's what's amazing about God's mercy. Mm -hmm. Even when he knows we are not ready to turn to him, he'll still mm -hmm. grant us his love mm. at the craziest times. And I needed it. And I said, God, if you get me out of this thing, I'll come back to church, I promise. <laughs> and within a couple of hours, the storm lifted. And I was able to stand up. And I'm glad I'm six feet tall because right at the five-foot mark, boom, my head poked through and I could see the lights of Koyak off in the distance. I got my team strung out, gave them the command, hike! My two leaders up there in the front, girls were named White Eyes, and they towed me to safety. And we got, we made it in. I had, by the way, I had my wool face mask. I'd been breathing in ice particles for so many hours that it had frozen completely to my face. So mm. when I got into the checkpoint, a veterinarian took a pair of scissors, cut up the back of the wool face mask, put me over a potbelly stove, and just peeled off the face mask. And it took one layer of skin completely wow. off my face, wow. which made it really tender to the cold. Mm. But you know what I learned out there on that day? I learned something amazing, and I've lived it to this day. 
And that is we've got to live in a place that's bigger than us. We've got to be taking risks. To this day, I feel like the greatest gift I can give myself or to share with a man that I'm working with or whatever it would be is put yourself in a position that it's bigger than you, Hmm. where you can't do it, where you got to call out to God, God, I need your help, because that's the best place to live. (laughs) What are you laughing about? Well, I mean, I, I want to live there. I don't ever want to play safe. There's times where you want to hold on to the boat, but I want to be a water walker. I want to get out of the boat, the safety. I mean, I hear that story. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, take risks. And why don't we? Go I remember grade. being at a conference and the speaker saying, are you doing anything right now that you could not do it apart from Jesus? Yeah. And I remember thinking, no, but I did think what? I want to do that. I think we have that in us. Like, I want to do something that would be so risky that I cannot do it apart from the Spirit of God in me. That's what the disciples did. Someone's listening right now going, I have so much pain in my life right now. How in the world can you invite me into more pain? Mm. Here's the crazy maker about this. It's like the more we get out over our skis and the more we get in over our head, the more dependent we are on Jesus and the greater potential there is to experience friendship with God in the adventure of a lifetime with Mm. him. That's just reality. We want to thank Dave and Ann Wilson and their team for another edition of Family Life Today. Although our programs are produced in America, the issues facing families like forgiveness, communication and taking care of our kids transcend national borders. These issues profoundly affect relationships everywhere. In Australia, family life is known as power to change and our mission is to effectively develop godly families, the kind of families that change the world one home at a time. A key part of our mission includes strengthening marriages and families all around the world. We want to do whatever we can to bring timeless truths to the challenges you face as you seek to strengthen your family and join us in changing the world. Do you need some practical help in your relationship and aren't quite sure where to turn? We offer relationship checkups where you will meet with one of our trained relationship coaches who will help equip you with some new tools while you take a more holistic look at your relationship. For more information, email radio at powertochange.org.au or check out our website, families.powertochange.org.au under the Need Help tab and get started today. We hope you can join us tomorrow at the same time for another Family Life Today. Today.